enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you to join us in a study of God's Word today. May God open your heart and mind as you listen to the eternal truths found in His Word. I want to share with you uh, a story that goes back to my college. a story of kind of facing something head on and having to struggle and work my way through that. Uh, when I was young, I got involved in playing uh, volleyball. That became my sport of choice. I remember um, uh, every time in high school, uh, any free opportunity I had, whenever we weren't working, we were hitting the sand courts at Greenfield Park in West Dallas, Wisconsin. And uh, we, would just, we would just play there again and again and again and get my friends out there and just, just loved to play. I, um, I ended up going to uh, college, and still that, like, that love of volleyball just, 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 uh, just a part of who I was. And so very early on, in one of the, like, the freshman gatherings, when everyone like, gets together, I had heard about uh, a fall sand volleyball tournament. And immediately, while I'm meeting people, I'm looking for volleyball players because I wanted to get a team together. And so we, sure enough, I, I, I found five other people, five other freshmen. We got this freshman volleyball team together that we started, that uh, uh, we decided we would do this tournament together. And, and I asking them and, about how much they had played, and most of them had, had played some, but none like me, none like None like really organized volleyball, but we just all played a lot. And so we, we got together, we practiced some, then, then the season started and we started playing. And then it got to the final weekend and we were doing pretty good. We won some, we lost some, but the final weekend was this like bracketed, all the people who were winning would play against each other, kind of like a March Madness kind of thing. And so we just made the cut. We're in it, and we get to play uh, some volleyball together. And uh, we start playing, and we're, we found our groove from the games before. And so first team we play, we win. And the next team we play, we win. And, and, and next thing you know, we're in the semifinals. We're like, okay, okay. We play this, and we win. Then we get to the finals. Now, the, I want to tell you about this final team. This team had beaten us before in the kind of round robin we had done. And it was full of upperclassmen, uh, some people who played on the varsity team, some people who played on the club team for the college. But one guy in particular was a guy I knew very well. He had gone to my church when we were in high school. He was two years older than me. And my memory of him was, in high school, he was a bully like, any time we played sports that involved a ball, I was getting beamed. Like, this was, he was just not pleasant at all. When he went to college, he mellowed out. He actually became okay. When he came back, he, he was much nicer. And in fact, he ended up coaching us for some uh, church statewide uh, volleyball tournaments. And that, he was largely influential for my great desire to play volleyball, for kind of nurturing that passion in me. And so he had served at one point in our relationship as this kind of bully and antagonist. But later on, when he started going to college and he mellowed out, he was like a coach to me. And so there was this weird kind of rivalry here. 
And I remember we were playing against him, this really solid stacked team, and they absolutely wiped the floor with us game one. It was the best two out of three, just, 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 just beat us. And game two is not looking any better. And we find ourselves like eight points down. You know, you're only supposed to play to 21. Eight points down is a huge deficit. And I remember at one point, um, that eighth point, um, they had just like spiked the ball. I dove for it or something. And I'm picking myself up off of the sand. And he's on the other side of the net looking down on me. And he like reverts back to his high school self and begins to tell me that you are never going to win, we own you, we've got you, and just, boom, just overbearing. And I'm picking myself up, looking like, yeah, i got to put up with this again when I'm in college. And so, um, and, and that has just kind of like, that moment has kind of seared in my face. And those, those moments that we have of, of overcoming the, 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 the person or the thing that's just kind of overshadowing and overbearing us is something that... Uh, We've all faced, and it's something that has become a part of the narrative of, of any kind of movie we might watch, book we might read. It's a part of the stories that, that make up who we are. And I think all of it goes back to the original, the big story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to read this chapter for you. We're just going to kind of walk through this story together and take, take peeks in and out of uh, this, this, this long chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It is a story you probably know very, very well. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to start at uh, verse 2. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side. Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung around his shoulders, The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. And greatly afraid. Let me kind of set that scene, make sure we understand. Two different mountains, right? Two different encampments. They're they're up a little bit so they can see out over the valley. But this valley is about to become a big killing floor. Both armies, if they meet in battle, there's going to be lots of blood. This is going to be a a vicious, vicious war. And they're waiting and they're looking and they're seeing who's going to make the first move. 
But Goliath makes up an offer, and that offers, of course, we can avoid this whole thing if someone will fight me. Now, Goliath, let's kind of put this in perspective. He's going to be like six and a half feet tall. That's pretty tall even today. But uh, if you've heard, uh, they they say today people are getting taller. (laughs) The generations keep getting taller. Look at people who played uh, basketball back in the 60s versus people playing basketball today. There's like six-inch difference average. And so a lot of scholars suggest that even back then, the average height would have been about 5'9", 5'10". And so, like, I mean, he's just huge, huge. It'd be like Shaquille playing basketball with high schoolers, Shaquille O'Neal. Like, like just, just, uh, just, he just outmatches them all. But it's not just him who outmatches them. Everything he's wearing suggests he outmatched them. In fact, suggests if he is, is wearing this kind of armor, all the Philistines will outmatch them as well. To kind of put this in perspective, Saul is king just before 1000 BC. In history, the start of the Iron Age is around 1200 or so, depending on what scholars you listen to. The Iron Age, that is when people first start making iron swords and spears and things like that, is just beginning. There's another obscure reference in the Old Testament that says uh, that the Philistines would end up not sharing with the Israelites from their iron mines. In other words, they have military superiority. And, and so when it says, hey, here's how, here's how Goliath is decked out. He's got his bronze helmet. He's got his bronze plate. Okay, that all fits for the Bronze Age. That all fits for that. But his spear, that is a top-notch weapon. They're saying he is, uh, a, his weaponry is going to be able to pierce whatever armor the Israelites might have. This is, this is like technological advantage. And he comes up as kind of the, the picture of what the Philistine army could be. And so when they look at him and they're terrified, of course I think they're terrified because he's big, he's overbearing, he's stronger than anyone else in their army. But he represents, oh, our whole army's better than you, and we will wipe the floor with you. And they are terrified. So let's continue on, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three eldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Uh, the, three el- uh, the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Uh, went back and forth from Saul and to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And for 40 days, the Philistines came forward, took his stand morning and evening. Jesse said to his son David, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, these ten loaves, carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See how your brothers fare. Bring some token from them. And now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forward to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. 
And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. This is the scene. Saul is the first king of Israel. They've come to the promised land out of the Exodus. They had a period of judges ruling over them. They start saying, hey, we want a king like everyone else. The prophet Samuel warned them, hey, if you have a king like everyone else, your children are going to end up fighting his battles. And sure enough, here we have Jesse's three oldest children are fighting Saul's battles. They've already joined the military. They're fighting for their king. They're fighting for their country. They're fighting for their homes. And this battle's been going on for 40 days, mostly a lot of saber rattling, mostly a lot of, uh oh, where are we going from here? But there's a stalemate, and everyone is kind of terrified of that larger army represented by Goliath. I mean, this is like antiquity's Cold War, right? Everyone's just encamped, and they're just staring at each other, wondering what's going to happen next, who's going to blink first. And this is the scene to which David shows up. And his, his dad is, is afraid. He's like, you know, it's hard sometimes to get food to encamp uh, armies. Here, bring something for your brothers. I think the cheese is for the officers so that he can make sure he can see his, his, his brothers. You know, he's got, he's got to make sure he shares with them as well. And so David goes over there and he hears what Goliath says. He hears the taunt. Verse 24, all the Israelites, when they saw the man fled from him, were very much afraid. And the Israelites said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. The king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give his daughter and make his family free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood, uh, who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is... This uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. And his eldest brother Eliab heard him talking to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. And David said, well, what have I done now? It was only a question. And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Here David is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard there's a great reward and you guys are afraid of somebody who doesn't even belong to God's people, someone who God is not on their side. When he calls them an uncircumcised Philistine, he's saying two things. He's saying, one, he's not a part of the people of God. And the other is, he's not done anything to say, I want to join in faith and do the practice that shows I've joined in faith with the God who saved us from Exodus or saved us from Egypt during the Exodus. He, he say, and there's always someone in our life, there's always someone who says, the problem is too big. There's always someone who thinks, uh, uh, you can't do it. No, the problem is too big. One of the things you learn as a parent, if you have more than one child, is that the youngest hears that all the time. And they're always like, oh, no, I can do it because I've got to catch up to my older brother or my older sister. Right? I, 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 I can do this. And so David, of course, just absolutely displays that. Wait, who is this guy? 
I, I remember Alex, uh, I mean, sometimes I'm absolutely surprised by the kinds of things he can overcome. I still remember, it was just like a year ago, uh, he, he was at this, like, parkour, main warrior gym. He's at this parkour place. And they had this thing called a warp wall, like in, in, in the, like the ninja competitions. It basically is this, it, it goes from straight to immediately up, this curve immediately up. And you have to, like, try to get to the top. And I still remember, still have a video of Alex's very first time trying, just barely grabbing the top and then hooking his foot up over it and just barely pulling himself and then just being like, yes. Last week, I took, him to, uh, I took him back, and he's scaling that thing like it's nothing. He's jumping off. He's moved a pad now in front of it so he can keep running up it and keep jumping off. And, his, and he has absolutely conquered that, that thing. He's figured out how to run up it in just the right way and get to the top. Youngest brothers love to prove our doubts and suspicions wrong. And when David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, he's asking Who is this person who disobeys the Lord, and why in the world should we fear him? I mean, he doesn't even have God on his side. And he knows not to fear anything that doesn't come from God. Everything falls away and shrinks before the might of the Lord. He knows that when God is on our side, that victory is not. He knows that if God's on our side, He can overcome anything that might come against us. And, and I, I think David remembers the stories. David remembers the stories of their people oh, uh, fooling Pharaoh and get, going out and, get, and escaping and coming back to the promised land. I think he remembers the stories of going to the promised land and, and, and the spies going out into the land and, and coming back and saying, oh, It's scary out there. You know what they have? They have chariots. And they have chariots filled with iron, is what it says, the the spies said. Remember my story about the Iron Age? They're saying they are effectively driving tanks. (laughs) We can't deal with this. But yet, God would lead their people in victory and into the promise. I think David remembers all those stories of God overcoming immense odds and helping develop and establish them as a nation. And so he sees this Goliath, and he's going to be just one more stumbling block, just one more little speed bump along the way. He has confidence God will be with him. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, well, let no one's heart fail because of him. Well, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Well, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, well, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, well, I'd catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defiled the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, may the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword 
uh, over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. And so David removed them. And he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the wadi, and put them in his shepherd's bag, in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. I hear this story, and this is, of course, a story of them saying, David, what are you doing? You are the youngest. You're not old enough to fight in the military, but yet, for whatever reason, he says he wants to go. Kind of reminds me of my father-in-law. <laughs> father-in-law, who I never got a chance to, uh, to meet, but what I heard is that he was so uh, interested in, in the war that everyone around him was joining that before he was 18, he lied about his age just so he would have the opportunity to enter into World War II with everybody else that he knew. Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. If you're doing the math, you're like, wait, what? Yes, there's, there's, there's an extra generation gap between myself and my father-in-law. And David is in that scene where he's like, I, I'll do this. I'll fight. I'll overcome this. And I think when we hear this story and see that Saul has tried to put him in his armor and tried to fit him in the way that he would fit any one of his adult soldiers. And David says, this, this isn't going to work for me. I can't overcome what God's put in my way with someone else's tools. God has prepared me for this. And so he has to remove that armor. And I think, I think one of the things that's important from this story, from, from this aspect, is, is for us to remember God has prepared us and God has equipped us for whatever might come our way. And to try to handle things under someone else's strength, try to handle things under someone else's power, is to turn away from what God might have prepared us for. Because our God has equipped us from the trials of the past for the trials of today. The trials of the past our Lord has used to equip us for the trials we might still meet today. That's not a way of saying God gave us those trials so we prepare for today, but it's a way of saying God in His infinite grace said, out of all of that, I'm going to strengthen you, I'm going to prepare you, and you're going to learn from that, and it is going to be everything you need for what might come later. David, can, can you imagine David as a young kid taking care of the sheep and a lion or a bear comes? I imagine when he went out to fight those, his heart was pounding in his chest. I imagine when he went out to fight those, he found himself saying, I don't know what I'm more scared of. The lion or going home to my dad and telling him that our livelihood, our food, is gone. <laughs> and so he goes out there and he's got to face that and he's got to take care of that. But each and every time, I don't think he was glad he had to do that. That was a trial. That was something he would have been afraid of. But yet, overcoming that prepared him for this very moment. God prepares us for the trials of today out of what happened from the past. We ask, indeed, in those hard moments that the Lord would use and strengthen us and help us to help others from what we have learned and what has happened. This is what David is saying. God has already prepared me for this. And so he takes the five smooth stones from the little creek in the river and he brings it with him instead. The Philistines came on and drew near to David with a shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. But the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog 
that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, Well, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." I just had a moment where I thought, here's young David, 14 years old or something, just echoing back what he just said to him. Like, that's just the classic playground insult, right? <laughs> and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I like that. Reminds me of an old 90s thing. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I think if this was translated in like 90s slang, it would have been like, when the Philistine stepped up, <laughs> David engaged. Uh, David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, and he grasped his sword, drew it out of its sheath, killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the troops of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout, pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shireen as far as Gath and Ekron. I opened with a story of facing a Goliath, and I'm gonna, I'll close out the story and tell you how it ended. He stood over me, taunting me, and I remember getting up and called the team together, and I said, guys, they are laughing over there. I cannot take it, and we cannot let that stand. We have to get this ball back and get some serves so we can get some points. And we started fighting hard. And that eight-point deficit before long was a five-point deficit. Then it was a three-point deficit. And then before long, it was a tie game at 21-21 to 21 on game two. And finally, we broke ahead to get the two-point lead, and we brought it to game three. And we carried that momentum and that adrenaline, and we ended up beating them on game three, and we had our David versus Goliath moment against the upperclassmen varsity and club players, and I was ecstatic. I still remember when uh, we had first signed up, we were wondering, uh, I was talking with the team saying, hey, we're going to sign up, we're going to do this, and there was this lady on, on the team who says, I don't think we should sign up for the A League, we should sign up for the B League, or maybe even the C League, which is basically just slap the ball over the net. I don't know if we're ready for this. I said, no, we are. I still remember one of my first words to her when we're jumping and we're cheering. I said, I told you you could do A League. Like we were just so, I was just so beaming. We were excited. We were so uh, just, just in this. And we love these stories. In fact, those stories are, 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 are as rare as they are. We love those sports victory stories. We love those kind of underdog stories. It's why movies like The Sandlot Gang or Bad News Bears or Hoosiers or Rudy 
strike a chord with us. And all those various sports, we love those. Or, or what is it? Or the Disney one, the Mighty Ducks. Here, I think I'm, hitting, I'm trying to hit all the uh, different uh, sports, right? Uh, like those underdog stories. We love those stories. And all of them are kind of rooted in some way in this David and Goliath tale. And all those stories are, are kind of like the story of if only you can like muster up more kind of willpower, if only you can kind of reach in and dig deeper, if only you could practice harder, you can do that. But one thing that those stories all miss, even though they're rooted in that very good message of work hard, dig in, find that strength, overcome the obstacles, all things that we have to do. But the David and Goliath story is not rooted in David finding his inner strength. It's not rooted in David somehow saying, I, I, I think I can finally overcome Goliath. You see, David was never afraid. David knew he was never outmatched. He was never overpowered. He was always confident in the Lord, and the Lord did not fail him. He overcame because he dwelled in the confidence of God's providence. So this story is a story not of David's victory. This is a story of the Lord's victory. It says, not a sword in his hand, but yet he beats this giant with a stone he found in a nearby creek. And that stone finds a new home, not in the bed of a river, but embedded in the forehead of Goliath. And I suspect that sometimes when we are faced with something like a Goliath in our life, we we, we find ourselves like other people in this story, like perhaps Eliab, the oldest brother, convinced of our certain demise and just hoping to minimize the impact. What are you doing here? Don't you know how dangerous it is here? And this is what happens when we give up, when prayers stop, when we hide from the help of others. When in our conversations we're no longer bearers of good news, but bearers of disappointment and omens of ill will. Or or perhaps sometimes in this story, we, we take on the aspect of Saul, the king. We know there's a God. We have some kind of faith in this God. But we have faith in God in large part because of how much we've acquired and maybe where we've gotten in life. And we get dumbfounded when what we've acquired and what we've worked out just isn't working and doesn't seem to work. And despite all that we've gained, it's not good enough. So what happens when we find out there, there is no easy prayer to get what we want. There's no prayer gimmick. There's no specific lines. It doesn't matter how much you bring to the offering, a contrary to some popular preachers. It doesn't matter what you bring. Like, those aren't surefire answers to the conflicts that come our way. But David just believes and has faith that the God who has been faithful before will be faithful today. And the Lord invites us in each and every moment, whatever giant comes our way, to walk forward in confidence of His continued provision and then to be amazed at the giants that might fall. I think, in many ways, a reality that sometimes we are forced to face. 
the biggest giant of all that every single person faces is the giant of death. Jesus, who in the story of Matthew we heard as the son of David, Jesus, who in the beginning of the genealogy of Matthew is, is shown to be along the line of David, Jesus, who while this will prove him as a king, will also remind us of elements of David's story. Jesus would defeat that giant, not shown by a stone from a river embedded in its head, but evidenced by a stone rolled away from a tomb. And we are invited to see and celebrate that this Jesus, this Son of David, this King of all kings, has indeed defeated the biggest giant of all. And we are welcomed into that celebration. And all of life's giants are defeated by embracing and coming forward in faith of what God has done in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in a moment, we're going to come forward after prayer, we're going to receive communion. And you're going to be invited to celebrate the defeat of death, the promise of resurrection, and indeed, God's overpowering of all of life's giants as we come forward and we celebrate communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you today for uh, this day and this opportunity we have to remember that you are the God who continues to provide. You are the God who continues to see us through the moments where we say, I don't know how I get through this valley. I know what's on the other side. But yet, Lord, when we look back, we can see time and time again a ways in which you helped us beat our, our lions, our bears. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to use those as moments to have faith and trust again. And know that you are the God who continues to see us through. And you are the God with a brighter hope and a future beyond which we can ever even imagine. And I thank you for that promise. And I thank you for that hope. And I thank you that it is found in Jesus Christ. The one who has loved us so much. And indeed has defeated death. The stone has rolled away. Help us, Heavenly Father, to walk and live in that faith and in that confidence. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you abundantly as you serve Him today.